What's up, y'all? My name is T. Shaw, and this is Brewing Black Podcast, where the contents we serve you is authentic, vulnerable, and relatable. That means we serve you with no cream and no sugar. I guess I like my coffee black. Happy Merry Black History Month, Black Bruins. Yo, what's going on? This is Scholar P. And it's T. Shaw. And we want to welcome you to Bruin Black, uh, the show that talks about news and media entertainment on a national level. T. Shaw, how you feeling, brother? Bro, I am feeling amazing. I know I say I feel good every week, but you know, coming off the birthday week, we're going to jump into it a little bit later. But I'm just on a high right now, bro. It's a cloud nine. How you feeling? Yeah, I'm feeling really good, man. Um, I, I can definitely relate. Um, I have had a very, very productive week. Um, dissertation stuff is coming good. Turned in some fellowship applications. Okay. Um, and so we we blessed over here, baby. I see you, bro. I see you. So before we get started, like we like to do, um, we have to acknowledge the land that we're on. So today we are sitting on the land of the Gabrielino and the Tongva. This is stolen land. This is colonized land. And we will always, always, always pay those respects. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and we also, um, you know, want to give a, a shout out and um, say rest in peace um, to the uh, to the legend uh, Cicely Tyson. Absolutely. Um, who, who passed away. One of our uh, black legends of, of Hollywood. So many people have, um, you know, reached, reached out in support um, and, and in their, their sort of grieving of her talking about the impact that she had on their lives. And mm-hmm. um, especially, you know, we, we had um, our, our friend Saturn on here sort of talking about, you know, colorism um, in, in the professional world. And, you know, there are a lot of, People like uh, uh, Viola Davis, who who came out and was saying that like Cicely Tyson gave her the permission to be successful and unapologetic in the acting industry as a darker skinned woman. So um, just shout out to the way that Cicely Tyson made people feel right. Um, Rest in peace. You know, that's, that's the type of legacy that we, that we all would love to leave behind. Like she is such an important part of uh, entertainment, especially within black history. So shout out to her. Yes. Rest in peace and rest in power. Yes, yes, absolutely. So like we always like to do, um, we try to start off our show by giving you all a, a quote to sit on, to to let breathe. But after that, we are going to get into something that we like to call our light roast. Right. So and that's when we critique something or someone in society, uh, but also try to give them some constructive uh, feedback um, mm-hmm. if possible. It's not always possible. Y'all yeah. believe it or not. <laughs> we try. <laughs> we try. We do what we can. <laughs> right. Exactly. So our quote for today is the question is not whether the good outweighs the bad. The question is whether or not the good excuses the bad. Mm-hmm. And in my opinion, it never does. It doesn't. As long as wrongs are being committed in any quantity and in any ratio to the amount of good that is being done, it is both irresponsible and wrong not to bring awareness to it and struggle to put an end to it. Who that was a lot. A by, that was by Derek R. R. Audet. Mm-hmm. So, T, there was a lot there. There is. But I, there is. <laughs> but I want you to tell me what you what you felt about any part of that quote. 
Um, so it's hard. I think this this quote, there's a lot of elements to it. Um, but when it says it's not whether the, the question is not whether the good outweighs the bad is um, is if the good excuses the bad and it's in their opinion it never does. And I think in a lot of ways, that's really true. I think especially on a larger scale. Right. Like when we think about the government um, and like taking care of people, because that's the, the, the role of the government. Um, if, if there are some people taking an L, then it's like then it's not a good system. In no way, shape, or form should anyone be sacrificed in that that way. Um, so that is where I see the the quote being true. But then I think about it on like a personal level. So I think that like on a on a macro level, I think that this reigns really true. But on a more micro level, on that personal level, like I think for people, it's just like I think everybody is kind of infallible, or everybody's fallible, right? Everybody has like good and bad qualities. So I think it should be if um, the good outweighs the bad i think as long as there's not too much bad like and there there are things that you can deal with and things that don't necessarily harm you then i think then um then that's okay i I think nobody's perfect so i think on that sense um i don't know if i could completely agree with it but what do you think no absolutely yeah because i think that when we think about systems i think that there are a lot of systems and we're going to get into that pretty soon actually but there are a lot of systems that ignore the bad entirely and wholeheartedly absolutely um, for reasons of power and greed and money and things of that nature. American democracy. Um, absolutely. Right. Um, but personally, what it makes me think about is this idea of the fact that you're going to be the villain in someone's story. Mm. Right. And there's no escaping that whether you did something uh, filled with malice towards them or not. Right. Um, and a lot of us, we do make mistakes and we do become the villains in people's stories because of things that we did. Um, and it's learning how to live with that and to make sure you're not the villain in everybody's story. Yeah. Um, to make sure that someone can can look at you and say, yo, they that was a dope chapter because of my life because of that person, right? Mm-hmm. Like T-Shaw really made pages 23 through 45 lit and awesome. Yeah. T-Shaw's presence really made my book a much better read. Um, but also realizing that, you know, you can't feel the guilt and the shame forever um, for being the villain in someone's book. You know what I'm yeah. saying? I've definitely been the villain in, in many a person's book, but I, I've also had the resilience and the resolve to move past that and be, be a, a good person um, in someone's books. And then I think my final thing is realizing that you know you are a mixture right so it's like it's it's not just a good and a bad it's 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 everything right it's 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 gad you know what i'm saying it's it's good you know what i'm saying like it's we we're we're a mixture of experiences Mm -hmm. and i think that if it was one way or another we'd either not appreciate life for, for for as much as we could if everything was all bad or um, it, or we wouldn't have hope if things were um, always bad. So, yeah. it, it, so it goes back and forth. Yeah, and something you said reminded me of this quote that I heard in my journalism class. Um, I think my senior year, uh, the teacher said that she, it was an affirmation. She told us to be the, the star in our own movie. And I think a lot of people take that to heart. But then sitting there, I thought about, like, how could I take this further? And I always told, told myself I wanted to be like, the the leading supporting actor in a lot of other people's story too it's like my movie i already know is gonna be hard like like (laughs) i'm the star in it like i'm really doing my thing but i think that like so many of us like 
think about our own story so much that their people just all belong to your story. It's like, no, everybody is has their own movie going on. And it's like, how can I best support your movie? How can I make sure that your movie go number one at the box office too? Like, there's there's a lot of different seats. There's a lot of different theaters going on. Like, everybody can have some shine. Um, right. So so I, I, I just, I really liked how you talked about just being able to be a part of someone's story and really making that page 20 through 50 lit. And it's like, that, that might be the only time you spend with those people, but like, just making an impact on our lives. I, I think that's the next level of thinking. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, you know, we'll get, we'll get into this later when we, when we talk about your birthday and your reflections, but I think you've been able to successfully do that. You know what I'm saying? Something I appreciate like that. that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that, you know, I, a lot of, a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is in some way, shape or form related to legacy. And yeah. like, when you think about your legacy, you think about how people uh, made, made you feel. So, you know, you just really, uh, really, really want, want to run, run with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the reasons that we, we brought this up was because um, for those of you who do not know, because this is actually sort of pretty recent news, uh, Mark Cuban, of the, the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, uh, one of the sharks on the show, uh, Shark Tank on ABC, um, he recently um, made sure that the national anthem did not play uh, for the Dallas Mavericks home games. Um, and so he was doing this for a while, but then the NBA said, hey, you know, it's our policy that you um, allow the, the national anthem to play. Um, and so, you know, Mark sort of had his thing where he was tweeting out, hey, look, you know, I, I don't see why I have to do this. Like, why don't y'all go complain, uh, cl- complain to your uh, bosses about why they don't play the national anthem every time you go to work? Mm-hmm. I can say that, you know, Black Lives Matter and that there's systemic, uh, you know, injustices racially in this country. And so, you know, I, I think that, we have to, when we think about the quote and we think about our light roast, the light roast has to go to people who are still questioning the national anthem, who are still talking about it as a, tra- a mandatory tradition. T. Yeah. Uh, so, so tell me more about what you think about people who hold on to that ideology. Yeah, bro. Like, I, I think it's crazy that the NBA has kind of come out and tried to force all teams to play this national anthem. Um, again, we, we thinking, we're thinking about the legacy, right? We're thinking about the legacy of American democracy and like the legacy, uh, of just America in general and like how some people have been at the, the lower end of the stick, right? I, I think that it, it becomes difficult for me to really champion the NBA like I used to, especially in comparison to the NFL, because we saw this with Kaepernick, right? He kind of started this movement and it's crazy that, um, 2020, we saw the bubble happen and it felt like, okay, four years later, people were finally listening to what Kaepernick is talking about. Then the NBA has this black lives matter thing going on, um, all over their, like their, their, their bubble games. Um, black lives matter is all on call of duty and all of these other things. Right. And we, we think about like how the NBA has now taken this stance, forcing people to listen to the national anthem. And we, when we talk about the national anthem, I think there's a lot of problems with like the lyrics, right? We we know that the writer was a racist. Like it talked about killing slaves, I'm pretty sure, like that cho- chose to fight on the other side. And I think that we're so far we're we should have learned by now. I think that's the toughest thing. It's like as I'm sitting down talking to my students about this each and every day, it's like they're so flabbergasted, like really like they feel like they've been hoodwinked, bamboozled, uh, like in so many different ways by like 
history. And I think that forcing teams and forcing these black players to stand for this national anthem um, forces it, it, it tricks us into thinking that like we all buy into what's kind of going on, that we don't have problems. And I think that they're trying to force us into unity, force us into like this patriotism, patriotism. And it's like not even real. And so, yeah, yeah, it, it becomes kind of frustrating for me because it's like the NBA was supposed to be like our league and we see how quick they switch up. So was it just for show? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that uh, and I think it goes back to this thing where it's like a both and right. So we've seen the NBA be, you know, more progressive on these issues sometimes in the NFL, which mm-hmm. we appreciate. But like like you said, you get used to that standard yeah. of support. Yeah. And so it, it, it's a it's a really it's a real blow to the chest um, when they when you find out just how far they'll they'll toe the line when when it's it's something as simple as not letting a national anthem play. Yeah. Um, and and so for those of you who might not know, um, T, I, I love that you you brought up Francis Scott Key um, because Francis Scott Key was actually um, one the the writer of the national anthem. And what people don't know is that he was very um, very I guess monumental in shape the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, he he himself was a slave owner. He advised uh, Andrew Jackson, who was also a slave, slave owner. And so he was very much invested in the institution of slavery. And mm-hmm. uh, his lyrics, his lyrics, that, that third stanza of the national anthem goes a little something like this. No refuge uh, could save the hairling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave. And the star-spangled banner in triumph doth wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. Mm. And so he paints that picture of doom, of terror, of death, of, of black bodies. He, 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 didn't, he didn't care about um, everyone who was in this country equally or in an equitable manner. Yeah. And for a league that is 74.2% black, you would think that the NBA would be able to take a step back and say this song and, and, you know, forcing our players to put their hands across their, their chest and stand for this is an insult Mm -hmm. to their ancestors, to their very beings. And I think that we don't think about it that deeply. And Tisha, I I loved how you were talking about how, you know, surprised your students still are, because I think that when we talk about legacy, when we, when our, when our grandchildren, our great grandchildren look back on the state of this country, they're going to be like, why did y'all ever think that was a good idea? You know what I'm saying? I hope so. I hope they're that far. Yeah, as do I, you know what I'm saying? And I, I, I am honored to be a part of the generation that is hopefully pushing and making the country that uncomfortable, but like Mm -hmm. also shout out to Mark Cuban for being a white, white, straight billionaire man saying, Hey, like, no, this, I I don't, I don't see why I have to do this. Y'all don't even do it at at jobs that aren't dealt in, (laughs) you know, athletic and athletics and entertainment. Like, I don't see why we we have to do it. And yes, there's systemic racism in this country. And I don't want to say shout out to him, like giving him, giving him a cookie because that should be his go-to thing to do anyway. If he cares about human beings. Uh, But it's, it's just disappointing. It's just disappointing to see, like you said so i feel you in terms of feeling a little bit hurt and feeling like dang nba even you mm-hmm. have your politics that a white supremacist structure forces you to uphold you know absolutely and i i think it's also important to point out that i think it is also a rule in the nba that you can't kneel during the national anthem mm-hmm. like most of the time we see that those nba players are standing sometimes they don't put a hand across their chest but like they have to stand 
So right. it's like, okay, Mark Cuban's like, okay, not everybody wants to be standing. So how about I just not play it? And I think that that should be okay. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think it's going to take a major culture shift too. Like I haven't stood for the national anthem since 2016. And it's so crazy because it's like, you don't realize how much of a stand it is until everybody's standing. Um, and I've, I've been there so many times because they play it. And I think you also don't realize how often they play it and how indoctrinated you become. It's like the Pledge of Allegiance. You say it every single day in school. So then it's like the national anthem is played at a lot of big events, graduations, games. Um, I've just been so many random places and it plays. And I'm just like, well, I'm going to sit down. Like, I, and I, I think so many people look at me and it, I think it, it's going to take a lot of people being able to take, keep that seat. Because I think social pressure makes you want to stand up too. I think it becomes very awkward. I've been with some people that um, I've organized to sit down and they see everybody stand. So they, it's like a reaction and they just stand up. So I, I think it's important, but I think that hopefully by the time we do have grandchildren, that, that it's a commonplace that at least people know, and then they can actively choose to stand if they want to, and not that they're forced and they will be fined if not. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, 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 the, the national anthem is crazy, bro. Right, right. No, a, a, absolutely. And I think that, like you said, things can get really, really awkward, but you don't understand how much you're indoctrinated to it. And I think, I think one, one of the last things I, I'll say about this is that like, if you are holding, I, I understand that a lot of people think that, hey, if you don't stand for the national anthem, you don't stand for America, you're betraying America. But what I would implore you, what we would implore you to think about is what are some new ways that we can honor America that actually honor everyone? Because the mm-hmm. funny thing is, is that, you know, especially with the NFL, and all the, the backlash that, you know, Kaepernick and others uh, got for kneeling, um, the people who were in charge because Francis Scott Key was also very rich. Yeah. Let's let's put I'm, that out there. <laughs> I'm well. not even surprised. So so what we have to understand, too, is that. The average uh, person and the average white person who would get upset about someone not standing for the national anthem, the people who created it, created it, they wouldn't have had you in mind anyway. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? They wouldn't have had you in, in mind regardless. They didn't think of you as to, as, they didn't think about you a lot either. They just hated black people <laughs> and minorities more. So if I were you, I would consider new ways that really actually are um, honor every single solitary American that exists today. And it's not to say that you want to, you know, we, that we hate, hate the country, but we are not going to let America forget about that bad that has outweighed as good, which is still slavery. Mm-hmm. So like we, we're, oh, we're, we're going to agitate that system. Right. Yes. Um, but, you know, speaking of, you know, being a patriot being all, you know, all American and stuff like that. Mm. I, I wanted to talk about the Patriots who actually left the Patriots, <laughs> the Patriot who actually left uh, the patriotism and they won. Yeah. They won. T-Shaw, tell us about Mr. Tom Brady. Uh, tell tell us what, what happened with him this past weekend. Bro, it's actually funny because I'm thinking about it like the Patriot, he left the Patriot to become a Buccaneer. And a Buccaneer is like a rebel. Like it's like a, it's like a pirate. So that's kind of funny. Um, but we know that he's not pirating or rebelling against like, uh, like Republicanism and Trump, right? That, that's what right. he should be. Um, but yeah, I, I think Tom Brady, you know, I still got some smoke for him internally. Y'all probably heard it. That was some shade. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. But like, 
Tom Brady is one of the most successful athletes to ever play any game of professional, like, of professionalism, right? I think it's crazy because he's won more Super Bowls than any other franchise has. So the Patriots, the Steelers, um, the Cowboys, he's won more than all of those franchises. So we leave him like he he becomes one of the greatest players to ever play football, but also play sports in general. And a lot of people have been discussing, like, is he really the GOAT? And one of the questions I have is kind of like, what qualifies the GOAT? I think that that's something we really have to kind of think about. It. Like, what do you value in, like, the greatest athlete of all time? And also, can you compare athletes across, like, uh, different sports? Like, uh, people compare Tom Brady to now MJ. Um, LeBron is entering that conversation. Um, but one that sometimes is left out, but people are actually doing an amazing job of including it, Serena Williams. Serena Williams um, has dominated women's tennis and at, at a at a seasoned age too, right? Like she dominated pretty early in her career and then came back and started really whooping. Um, won uh, uh, a major pregnant. So I, I think that there are a lot of questions that we have to ask. Like how do you really determine who the greatest athlete of all time is? Uh, Scholar P, you got any thoughts? Yeah, yeah. So I, I definitely agree. It's a very, very interesting conversation because it goes back to what do you value? So mm. I'm going to show Tom Tom some some love first. I think Tom didn't come in um, as highly regarded. I, I'm pretty sure he was pretty low. Yeah, seventh round, last last yeah. round. Yeah. So, um, but to but to see him and his work ethic and him working with Bill Belichick, and then for there to be some doubt from Bill Belichick um, to him, and then for him to leave, and then for him to win, not only win a championship, he, yeah. Grock was talking about retiring, and now he's like, I want no parts of that. Mm-hmm. He got Antonio Brown, who was active bananas. Boy, for, crazy. For, like, for the last two years, he really got Antonio Brown together and, and helped him win his first Super Bowl. Resurrected I haven't heard nothing career. from and, and AB, you know what Man. I'm saying? And, and so, you know, I have to respect his legacy in terms of that work ethic. And I, yeah. and I honestly do think that like with football, all the injuries, the fact that you don't get to play multiple rounds against the same team in the playoff, yeah. in the playoffs, like it's really, one, it's a one, one and shot. done, yep. right? Like you have to respect the fact that he has seven and that he's been, and that he's been 10, 10 times to the Super Bowl. Yeah. You got to respect it from a, um, meritocracy level. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now, I, I, now, I, I love that you brought up Serena because um, when we think about Serena Williams, you know, let, let's talk about it from a meritocratic standpoint first, right? So, in if we're comparing them, if it was like a side by side comparison, you know, Serena thirty nine, Tom's forty three, right? So we can respect mm-hmm. Tom there. Serena's won twenty three major titles. Tom has won six. Wow. Uh, she's had uh, 33 major finals. Thomas had 10 Super Bowl appearances. She's ended the year at number one five times. Thomas ended the season as an MVP three. Um, she's had 358 career wins. Thomas had 230. And so from a mer- uh, from a meritocratic like standpoint, you know, it's you could say it's neck and neck because yeah. of the differences in sports. You could say how many games Serena's, she gets to play versus how many he does. 
Yeah. Right, right. It, it could really go either way. If you're looking at strictly numbers and you're not taking the sport into consideration, Serena got time. If you're looking at the difficulty and the potential for like major uh, life-threatening uh, career-ending injuries, you, someone might give it a time. But like I've been talking to people and they brought identities into it as well, right? So yeah. if I'm not mistaken, Serena Williams uh, came in, you know, highly regarded, maybe a lot of pressure on her, but highly regarded. She was, mm-hmm. she was like getting them, you know what I'm saying? Saying yeah. this this awesome black woman from from Compton really representing, and what does it mean for Tom to rise in the ranks through hard work as a white man when coaches look like him, owners look like him, and he had support and from the Patriots all that time versus and Serena no expectations, Williams. right, right versus a Serena Williams who had to navigate as a black woman. She black men came for white women came for yeah. um, the, the, the sports industry came for said she was on steroids yeah. um, and people would just call her out in their own books. I remember tennis players calling her out in their books uh, and, and just criticizing her to this day, you know what yeah, I'm saying? So I think that there's, I think that there's a very, powerful conversation to be had about meritocracy and what yeah. that looks like and like what would Serena if a white woman had had done this what what would it mean and if Tom Brady was a a, a black man uh, who had done this what what would it mean absolutely and so I, I yeah and so I feel like I'm gonna put both of them in the top tier of sport of mm. sports athletes of all time uh because it's, it's hard for me to compare them because there are so many differences but I wanted this to be a a, a push towards all of our listeners to think about not just the numbers and not just the accomplishments, but you, we have to think about their identities and the, the pressure that they face and the trials and tribulations that they face because of just their identity, something, something that they can't control. Both of them obviously worked hard yeah. to get to wherever they, they got to, but think about their journeys based on their identities too. Cause I don't think we as a society consider that when we think about people's journeys enough. Yeah, and I also just think that made me think about just the impact that these people make on the sport, right? Like, as great as Tom Brady is, and he might be going down as the greatest quarterback ever, I don't know if he's made a a tremendous impact on, like, viewers and, like, people that are watching the game and people that are coming into the game. Like, when I think about impact, I think about, like, how Serena has – she has her own style. She has her own flavor. Like, you you know when Serena hit the ball, she's – She's yet not letting out that grunt like that. Ah, that ah. And she's also inspired a lot of black women to come into the game. Right. And it's like more to pick up the sport. Tennis wasn't traditionally a black people or a black woman's sport. Not at all. Not until Serena and Venus came into the game and really changed it. I think about uh, Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan has influenced a whole culture of basketball players that have preceded him. Right. He's changed the shoe game. He's changed a lot about the sport itself. Tom Brady, when I think about the most impactful quarterback, I think about Michael Vick. Like Michael Vick came, was doing something that was different than everybody else. Tom Brady wins, but he doesn't really change the game. He just does what he's good at. He he it's really American. Uh, Football is an American sport. Like I think about he just played the system. Right. I think that's why Tom Brady has always been good because it's ne- he's never really had his back against the wall. He's always played with a wonderful team built around him. And he knows how to win with the weapons that surrounds him. He's great because he doesn't lose when it matters. And I think that that, that, that is a quality, but like Tom Brady got picked in the seventh round for a reason. Cause he's not a great athlete. He's, he's an intelligent player, 
Um, and he's somebody that got some grit to him, some hustle, and he know how to win. I think that's worth something. But I think that that identity factor, when you think about like the impact, because it, it's touching much more than just some. I, I wouldn't I, like. I guess some little white boys that's like want to play football. Like some people might look up to Tom Brady, but I've never heard somebody say like, "Oh, I want to be a quarterback because Tom Brady made me want to." It's like I think about Michael Jordan, I think about Allen Iverson, I think about Serena Williams, and I think identity has a lot to do with that. And maybe it's because I'm a young black boy, right? Um, and I've never been like introduced to, I had never been introduced to tennis, but I will sit down and watch a whole tennis match. So I think that their identities bring in a whole new audience and it allows the sport to grow. And that's why the NBA makes so much money. That's why tennis is growing as a sport. Soccer is growing as a sport because the audience is growing and there's people that look like us that we feel represent us in that sport. Absolutely. Absolutely. I remember seeing all the black celebrities at Serena's games and you know that they're there because of Serena and and it just changes and like all the memes and then black Twitter takes hold of it. You know what I'm saying? And, and like, it's just so much power. And like, T, I love what you said about um, Serena because I think about when she uh, faced Naomi Osaka, right? And she was literally facing someone that she had inspired. And it's like, that inspiration was manifested. And it's just, it's so crazy because it's like in football, you don't like you could some argue that if Aaron Rodgers had been with the Patriots to now with the Buccaneers, the question becomes, would he have won just as much less Absolutely. or even more than Tom Brady? Right. Absolutely. So I think, like you said, Tom Brady is great at utilizing what he has and making and, and coming through when it counts. But the question becomes, could you drop someone else in? I look, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go out on the record and say it. I feel like Kevin Durant gets a lot of credit for winning those, those two with uh, the Warriors. But I feel like you could, you could have put a lot of players in that position Bro, and the Warriors were so good. You feel that they were going to win. Regardless, but that's neither here or there. I, <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you can just drop someone else in Serena's position mm-hmm. because it's such a one-on-one sport. Absolutely. Like Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers never really get to go one-on-one. They get yeah. to face each other's defenses, defenses. right? Mm-hmm. Right, and even basketball, it's like Kevin Durant and LeBron can uh, go at each other offensively and defensively, yeah. but you don't you don't get that one-on-one in football. And so I think that that's once again. Point. Yeah, like what do you value? Because both of them brought something so incredible to the game, which probably will not be replicated anytime soon. And so, I, you know, I think we got to leave it to, to you all as the people, but we want you all to hopefully open your mind up and consider some different factors because it's not just black and white, no pun intended. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that so, was a bar. That was a bar. And before we transition off real quick, I just want to take a quick shot at KD too. Like bro, KD was up three, one on the Warriors and he lost. That's crazy to me. Like you lost to him. Then you joined their team. Like I think KD could have been one of the best players Ever. He probably still will be, but he, we now will never consider him one like the greatest right now, right? Because it's like right. to get your rings, you have to go play with Steph Curry and the boys, like the other top 10 players. Um, and it's like he cemented his legacy, but also he cemented his status as someone that couldn't be LeBron without five other st- like stars. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, I think with KD, it's like and th- I think that's why I was disappointed, too, because mm. it's just like. People are going to be looking at you and making like Eli Manning has made jokes about it. And it hurts him too. Yeah, yeah, bad, bad. Uh, I remember Russell going like, like, 
like, uh, what's the GM of the Warriors who we had just won a championship for was making jokes, and it's just like that's such a shame because like yeah. you're you're a beast, you're a beast, you're one of, you're one of the greatest basketball players. It might have been better for your legacy to do to do something else, but if he can win with Brooklyn, yeah. I'm gonna give him his credit. If he can win with Bro- Brooklyn when he's the leader, when all of it's on him, but right now he's not in the same camp as LeBron to me because LeBron can go anywhere, everywhere LeBron is gone. Yeah. There's a title. Yeah. Period. He, he and you creates that culture. Work. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And yeah. So I, so I, I think that once again, when we talk about legacy, mm-hmm. how do you want it? And I think that he took, I think he took the shorter way to it. Um, but that, but that way is not filled with as much glory as the grind that someone like a LeBron did. I remember, uh, uh, what was it? The Miami Heat, Dwayne Wade, Dwayne Wade and Shaq. That's when I started getting into the NBA mm-hmm. uh, culture and stuff like that. And like they had an impact on me. That's when I started, you know, playing ball. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But yeah, with, with KD, I'm just like, <laughs> bro, get it together because you still got time because you're do. that he amazing. Do. He do. And, you know, so, you know, build, get your legacy game up, brother. Let, let's go. Let's, let's show let's show him something, something if you if you really about, um you know, that life. But yeah. You know, shout out to all of them. Um, but as we're speaking about sort of like goat status and like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, just just legends in general, it harkens me back to what um, awesome um, music producer Swiss Beat said. He said that in order to be the goat, you know, you sort of have to lose it all and get it back at least four to five times. And Ooh. I was like, Swiss, you crazy. I, I don't know of anyone who's <laughs> lost it. And gotten to bat four to five times, but you know, I, I this this makes me think about uh, someone who lost a billion dollar enterprise that they helped build up, but who recently got it back, and that's uh, Nick Cannon. All right, yeah. so for those of you who don't know Nick Cannon, um, he was he had made some um, anti-Semitic comments um, on his podcast uh, called Cannon Class, and. He was basically um, saying and and sort of paralleling uh, the Jew- Jewish folks um, with the Illuminati, right? Yeah. So saying that they were sort of a part of the Illuminati and this, that, and the third. And so, um, you know, people started severing ties with him. Um, and, you know, Nick, Nick sued uh, Viacom, who owned the right to Wild and Out because he got fired from Wild and Out. They tried to give his Wild and Out uh, uh, star. Um, oh, young, yeah, DC, uh, Young, DC Fly. young Fly. That was kind of wild. Get, yeah, yeah. They tried to replace one black man with another in DC, like a, like a real one said, I'm not doing that. Cause Nick gave me my opportunity mm-hmm. when no one else was giving me my opportunity. Um, and then finally, uh, Nick and Viacom have come back to come back to an agreement. And, um, you know, now they, now everything's sort of, I guess, pieced up and he's back on a uh, while now and running the show. But I mean, that, yeah, that whole good. thing was just a tumultuous thing for me T. but I, I want to ask you, like, what does it say about people being canceled? Like, does it say any, this is sort of uh, legitimize what we think of as like cancel culture? Because it, it seemed like it wasn't even black people who canceled him. It was these corporations and probably white corporations that, that did it. So what, what does Nick's situation make you think about? Yeah, I, I think his comments specifically were really tricky because it was like, I think black people are held to a higher standard than a lot of white people are when it comes to anti-Semitism, right? 
I think that like I even think about the there was a lyric in um Jay Z's uh what was the um OJ uh you know the song I'm talking about Story like, about OJ yeah yes, Story yes. About OJ? he says something about like um some Jewish people own some of the banks I can't I can't think of the lyric off rip but I remember a lot of people were calling him anti-Semitic and I think that like it he, he does in those comments play into tropes, but there is some truth to those tropes. And I think that like with Nick Cannon, he got a little too like far fetched. He fell into a lot of conspiracy theories and it's like stuff that we kind of commonly hear around the barbershop. Like, oh, heads that really don't have good sources, but are still very like knowledgeable and wise. It's like when you don't, when you, you're looking for something to think about and instead of thinking about like real things that we can find, like Cointel Pro and like, things that the government are actually doing to our communities, they fall into like kind of the Illuminati type talk and those different things. Um, and I think he said something about like the Rothschilds. And I think that it, there's a lot of speculation because they own a lot of money. And we know that mo- people with money are able to like influence a lot of politics, but it's like the way that they go about it. Right. He's not, he's not following like following the clues. He it, like, you know, a little information and you just kind of add a conspiracy on top. So I think that that's hard. And I think that then black people are seen as anti-Semitic and he he lost everything that he built. But then we see him coming back and I think that's good. So, yeah, it, it does uh, bring up questions about like what cancel culture really is. I've had this conversation with my girlfriend a few times and I see a lot of people on social media say like, oh, cancel culture is not a thing. Like, look at all of these people that still have careers. And I'm like, well, look at all these people that don't like. As Daniel Caesar's cancel culture a thing, like he might be making a little bit of money, but like he he Daniel Caesar had like the black wedding game on lock for he would have had that on lock for like twenty years because he makes a, a, a an amazing love song. But after he he told uh black Twitter he said he told black Twitter to cancel him because I think he said he let white people say the n word and they was telling him you know they was calling him out instead of calling him in so he said black Twitter cancel me then. And they show did because his next album flopped. I think about even Chris Brown. I, I know Chris Brown still has a career and he's still like he he makes hits like no guidance was a bop. Like people still love Chris Brown. But I think that like his career trajectory completely changed. So for me, when I'm thinking about cancel culture, that's kind of what I'm thinking of, because there are people that they, they do take a hit. I, I don't think it's permanent. There's a lot of people that like they bounce back. But I don't know if they bounce back stronger. And I think that that's where I really want to look at cancel culture because I think it's almost impossible to straight up cancel somebody unless you have privilege and power. Like Colin Kaepernick has been canceled. Like he's been blackballed from the NFL since he's taken that knee. He has not played a down. Like he has not been on nobody's team. He He's better than they be picking up people from the CFL to XFL to QTL. Like, I don't know, like. Boy, yo, neighborhood pickup league before Calvin Kaepernick. And it's like, <laughs> but he's effectively backballed. So it's like, who can really cancel somebody is like people with power, people with money. So I, I think like Nick Cannon was canceled for a little bit. And I think that it's a good thing that there was agreement to reach. So I think that there are, there's, there's a great area when we talk about cancel culture. Um, do you have any examples or what do you think about cancel culture in general? Yeah. Well, let, let me just say this. First of all, I... I felt hurt for Nick that like he was able to lose a billion dollar venture that he helped build up. And Mm -hmm. and it made me think about entrepreneurship and ownership versus uh, corporations and depending on on them. And you can actually go back at some of our old episodes and like, listen, listen to our conversation about that. But like that, that made me feel crazy. But I think that 
when we talk about cancellation, we also have to think about the fact that like Nick Cannon brought a, a rabbi on his show after he was getting that backlash. You saw him having the conversations. You mm-hmm. saw him genuinely like open his arms and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm willing to learn. So I, I think about someone like a Kevin Hart who sort of refused to apologize about his the, the remarks about uh, LGBTQIA folks he made on Twitter years ago because he's like, I've already apologized. Mm-hmm. And like, because he owns a lot of his own stuff, he just sort of kept moving even when he wasn't doing the Oscars no more. Yeah, so he yeah. was like, cool. But then I look at like a Chrisette Michelle, you sing at Trump's inauguration, people are coming at this woman so hard that she has a miscarriage. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It's true. I, yeah. So, you know, and then you think about the extremists, so your Bill Cosby's, yeah, your R. Kelly's. Yeah, Kelly's, yeah. There, there was an article uh, that happened about two years ago or about a year and a half ago where Ayana was saying that she <laughs> refuses. Ayana is the fix-your-life woman, for those of you who don't know. She she comes and helps families, celebrities, whoever, fix their, fix their life and become better, a better people. person mm-hmm. for the people they love. But she said that R. Kelly is unfixable um, because he has it because he's still going through things that make him unfixable. So I, it's I don't know if there are rules and regulations in terms of cancel culture. Um, if you find yourself on the block of cancel culture, what it seems like is that if you genuinely apologize, if you if you maybe go on a talk show or bring in the communities that you've uh, you know, offended. Yeah, that's you try to be more genuine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you try to be more genuine, um, then you know it, it works out because you know you see Daniel Caesar being like cocky, like, yeah. oh, I got this, <laughs> yeah. or, or even a Chrisette Michelle, like she got a lot of warnings she beforehand. Mm-hmm. It's it's not like she was. It's not like she said something crazy. It was like she had months to think about why this was hurtful. And how, and she felt like she was going to unify everyone, but it was like, Chrisette, this is bigger than you. This is this is this is hundreds of years yeah, of pain being absolutely. manifested in this man. So you and you and you feel like you're black, Jesus, or I really should say Jesus because Jesus is black. <laughs> but I, you, that's what you feel. And she's like, a token. no. And it's like she caught the L, and it's like she caught the stray, and it's like she didn't even have to do it. And it's like I, I guess what. I listen to you. I'm thinking about just like it has a lot to do when somebody's getting canceled. It has a lot to do with who the audience of that person is. And then like, how do we feel about the people that were offended? I think that those are like the two questions we have to ask. So I think about like, um, like Daniel Caesar, he offended black people and black people, are his audience, we can, he can cancel. Like we can cancel you. I think like we think about Kevin Hart, Kevin Hart, I would say largely, there's a lot of black people that don't really consume Kevin Hart's stuff. There's a lot large part that do, but he's very just mainstream in general. So to cancel him, it would have to be a large, a portion of the population that was offended to like cancel him. I don't exactly remember his comments, but wasn't, it was about the LGBT community, right? Yeah. And I want to, I want to say it was about his son, him not wanting his, his son, son to begin. I've, I've seen yeah. his, some of his popular stand-up specials talk, talk about that too. But I, I love your point because even someone like a, a Dave Chappelle, you know what I'm saying? He, mm-hmm. he made some comments on his special, but it was like, about um, trans folks. Very, yeah. Yeah. And I, but 
I've also seen that same that same comedian, you know, try to talk with people at some of the local comedy clubs about it. Mm. You know, say that you know he's he's not perfect in it, and he he told people, "Hey, look, you're tuning in to me." And I yeah. think that Dave is also on a more mainstream level, and he, he it, there's this like. This, um, I guess, trait of genuineness that, yeah. that you see with, with Dave, where Absolutely. he's like, "I know I'm not perfect." What you see is you know? what you get, and he's not yeah. actively problematic. I think right. also as a comedian, I think that there are, there is also a leeway, and I, I think that what you're saying, I completely get. Like with Kevin Hart, I think some people find him genuine too, um, and I, I think that like again, like tr- trans folk and like the LGBT community are marginalized. It's not a large portion of the population. So I think it's hard. Like, unless there's a there's a lot of allies on that front, then it's it's going to be hard to cancel a more mainstream person. It's like a lot of them have cult following. So it's going to be hard to effectively uh, tarnish. Like, you can kind of tarnish their legacy, but I don't know if you can really hurt their pockets. But maybe that's what cancel culture really has something to do with. It's like the tarnish on your legacy. It's like you won't be perfect and I think that that's a large part of like what makes people the goat or people kind of like exalt to the top. Like, yeah, they might have money, but there's always kind of like a mark on their on their like resume. Right, right. Because because I love the point you made about the audience. Because I think about someone like a a Tory Lanez. Yeah, bro, you your audience is black women. You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, any absolutely. black man who listens to your stuff is to is to seduce a partner. Like yeah. that's it. It's the dance of dirty wine in the, in the club. So like, how you gonna shoot shoot Meg? Like and like obviously even if black women weren't your audience, you shouldn't be shooting black women. You shouldn't be shooting women. Yeah. But like you you shot your you literally shot your demographic. Yeah. Like no pun intended. He shot himself in the foot. You know what I'm saying? I'm like in shooting negative. Like I, I don't. <laughs> that understand. was a bar. That was a like, bar. Like I don't, I just don't get it. So like, and that goes to your point, Chrisette, Chrisette Michelle offended, offended black people. I think that when, when Nick Cannon says what he says, black people are like, there's some truth in that, but like you went too far versus like, oh, you were coming at black people. Right. R. Kelly, black women. Yeah, you absolutely. You have been molesting and sexually abusing black women for decades. Bill Cosby. Yeah, like there, like there, there might have been some white women that. Yeah, there was a good amount of white women. It was a good amount of white women. Yeah, and it's like everybody loved the Cosby Show, and just Bill Cosby was like a legend like that. He was mainstream, so it's like. Right, I I I was at a I was at an intersectionality event uh, that Kimberly Crenshaw uh, was hosting, and I saw a woman of color who was a a model who used to uh, have a drug habit that. Bill Cosby tried the drug. And so wow. unfortunately, so Bill Cosby's trying to get at everybody. Yo, absolutely. And, and that's disgusting. And these right. And these are the same women who are probably because remember, Bill Cosby's a family man too. So this is so he's probably these women are probably the ones who are encouraging their kids, their family to watch the Cosby show or a different world. And oh also, he was and even before that, he was coming at black black single mothers uh who had children out of wedlock and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So like all of these young things black men combined. too, calling them thugs, right, putting right. pants so, up. So, yeah, I, I think it's. I love, I love that audience point you made because it's really about knowing your audience, knowing the people who rock with you heavy, yeah. and making sure it's not. And it's not just about not offending them because sometimes you might need to offend your audience to be on the side of justice. Yeah. But being mindful and cognizant of them. Yeah, absolutely. You know absolutely. what I'm saying? Yeah. So I, it's just, it's just really, really, uh, it's just really, really tough 
Um, but is there is there anything else in terms of cancel culture that that like makes you you think about? Um, I just kind of bringing it back to Nick Cannon. I think we just have to be very mindful of like the 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 things that we're consuming and the things that we're putting out into the world. Like, I think you want to be knowledgeable of what you're talking about. Like here on Brewing Black, we try to be very informed. We bring in experts. Y'all know, y'all been listening to the last sure. few episodes. Y'all know that we're, we're really trying to try hard to like learn and study the things that we talk about because we don't want to give y'all false information um, or right. quote bad sources. And I think the one thing that really got Nick Cannon in trouble is that like he really was supporting uh, Minister Farrakhan. And like the Nation of Islam and like I think that the Nation of Islam has had a lot of anti-Semitic um, um, points to be made. Right. They they said a lot of harmful things. And I think that him aligning himself in those comments, even though his comments might not have been that bad, because I think it was just standard hotepery. Like, I think that, like, we know some hotels and it's like hotels aren't the worst people. Like, they just don't have the best sources. It's like they they're. They're curious and they're like, what's the word when you just like, um, what's, I'm trying to think of the word when you are kind of apprehensive of like information coming in, like you're skeptical, skeptical. I think they're, they have a healthy amount of skeptical, but then they fall into the wrong things to like kind of, uh, feel that like the knowledge that they're looking for. And I I feel like that's kind of what happened in Nick Cannon. So I guess I just want to advise uh, the people out there, like, make sure when you're retweeting things on Twitter and different things like that, that you're reading it. I think you just want to be very mindful of the, the content that you're putting out and the messages that you're sending to people. Because I think that that's the only way we can, one, like, avoid being canceled and two, like, avoid making sure that you respect a lot of, like, respect the people around you and respect yourself with, like, the content you're putting out. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think that... Um, I love what you were saying about research because it's like, you know, when, when we come on the show, like we we try to be as accurate as possible. We're going to give you statistics. We're going we, we might give you any any bit of like other outside of information that's that's valid to to confirm what we're saying to you all, because we we care about our impact and our reach. Yeah. Um, and, it, it, you know, as we think about like these powerful black leaders, I, I think that, you know, someone who comes comes to mind, someone who, oh, actually, you know what, before we transition, I actually want to talk about um, just the fact that if you're trying to like find stuff and for all these brothers who might think, hey, I know there's racism in the world, and, but when I articulate it, it comes off as conspiracy theorists, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. literally go to Google Scholar, put Google Ooh. Scholar on your phone. Ooh. Like I am, I'm writing a dissertation right now and you feel like you know everything, but like, there are so many minds that have thought like you that have done research and, and like you can actually go and cite them literally mm-hmm. say, you know, Dr. Johnson did this study in 1989, bro. And like <laughs> he found this and da, 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 da. And so like, we want to encourage brothers to like really, really be scholarly because it's like, you can really find research and information on just about anything on Google scholar. And so, you know, I I do want to encourage people, whether it's a Google scholar or just doing some research on articles, brothers, Mm -hmm. like really tap in into that, because I think there are a lot of great minds who are thinking like you're thinking and who can, who can help you make sure you stay off the conspiracy uh, roadway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Scholar advice from my man, scholar P and that's for the ladies too. I know that was reference to the fellas, but that's for the ladies too. Anybody you listening or my, my non-binary folk too, like, Make sure y'all doing that research, and that is a great place to start. 
Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and speaking of, of research, we, you know, me, me and T-Shaw did, did some research of our own, some visual research um, <laughs> this, this past weekend. And, um, you know, we, there were some great movies that came out um, there and, you know, movies that sparked a lot of great conversation, debate, what have you. Um, and when we think about these powerful black leaders, like I was saying earlier, you know, I, I think about people like a Malcolm X, who was someone who came with his family. Facts. Mm-hmm. You could tell he was scholarly. You could tell that he was always thinking on such a deep level for the betterment of, of black people. And I don't think he gets his his credit for it. I don't think his legacy is appreciated uh, mm-hmm. enough in, in America. Um, and shout out to Regina King. Uh, her she did she had her first directorial debut in a movie called One Night in Miami. Yeah. Um, for those of you who don't know, a uh, One Night in Miami is about. Uh, this this one night after Muhammad Ali being a 22 year old, I, it was I believe it was February 25th or 26th of uh, 1964. Um, he won his his championship or retained it, and himself, Malcolm X, uh, it was J- Joe Joe Brown and uh, Sam Cooke. All of them were together in a whole in a hotel, yeah. um, and, and they were talking and really sort of. Um, you know, fellowshipping is black, young black men who are all at the peak of their game. Mm-hmm. To give you all more context, Malcolm X died a year after, less than a year after that, that, that night. Uh, Sam Cooke died in about less than nine months after that night. Yeah. So these people were at the peak of their careers. And I, I just, we just wanted to talk about the movie and why we appreciated it real quick um, because we have to give not only those actors their credits, but uh, Regina King, her credit. So uh, T-Shaw, what, what did you think of, about the movie and what did you sort of take away from it? Bro, I loved it. I really loved it. I think it was a phenomenal film. It was a, it was so good. I was so captivated the whole time. And my favorite parts about it is that it made these people, well, one, it taught me about uh, like a history lesson, like black history. I didn't even know these people really rocked with each other like that. I knew that Malcolm X and Muhammad Ali like were close. Um, but like, I, I didn't know about Jim Brown. I didn't know about, uh, Sam Cooke. Right. And I, I think that it made these people more multifaceted for me. I know that like, um, Malcolm X is kind of like a hard ass in it. And he's like this revolutionary. He's like, he's kind of square. It's like, I don't drink. I, we're going to eat some ice cream or we're going to talk about, uh, our good God. Like, and, but I, I think there was like, parts of the film that made him so much more multifaceted like the fact that he really loved taking pictures like I I think that like I just had a good conversation with um a friend and we were just talking about how a lot of people in black history um when we learn about them or even like Trayvon Martin and the people that died like they're just kind of seen as martyrs and these icons but we don't really humanize them like we don't think about like what they really love to do so shout out to Mason for that conversation. And I, I thought about that as I was kind of watching the film because it's like Malcolm X loved taking pictures. Like I would have never thought that. Like you just think that he's just like, ah, power to the people, uh, the, the, the white man, devil. And like it's like, no, he was a human being. He had he had um, his views and he was very like staunch in them. But like I think there were other like aspects of him. Um, Sam Cooke, how we, we see how he is a capitalist in a way not not completely but like he he is playing a game and it's like he he sees his way of fighting back and his revolution is like black capitalism and i think that 
it's okay in that sense because it's like at least he had an aim. He had uh he knew what he wanted, right? Like I could agree I could agree a little bit more with uh Malcolm X, but it's like also he did own his own masters. Like he he was selling his songs to other people and he was making money off of uh like kind of ghostwriting or not even really ghostwriting i guess they were doing covers of his songs and stuff like that and then we know a change gonna come comes out a little later too so it's like he's being critiqued for making this music for white people but he's like i'm making my black money and then like he put out this revolutionary song that really hits you in the soul every time you hear it so I, i think that those aspects like really stood out to me in the film and i really enjoyed that um what about you what was like some first things that stood out to you I, you know, the, the first thing when, when Jim Brown goes and he meets, he meets with, uh, one, one of the people from, from the Browns and, oh, yeah, uh, like the owner. Yeah. Yeah. The owner and, and the owner fellowships with him, but then, you know, doesn't allow him to come into his house. house like yeah. he literally is like, yeah, you know, we don't, you know, we don't let niggas in here. Mm. And that moment was so, it was just so it was like gut punch. And I feel like that's how racism really works today. Like we, we love y'all as long as you stay in this, this particular position. Mm-hmm. And, job but you, and entertaining right, us. But, right. But you can't have access to the main house. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And that main house looks like a lot of different things today. Um, and I, that, that Ooh. scene was crazy to me. Um, but I, I loved it because um, yes, they were in the hotel for a night, but, but they, they took you on such a philosophical journey, right? Um, I, I think that it was a very, very healthy visual look of four top-notch Black men coming together and having, and having a, a very intellectual conversation. Mm-hmm. There were no women involved. There was no partying and drinking involved, involved until the very end where they were at that bar, which was a very brief moment. Mm-hmm. And, you, and like you said, you really got to see like the – the the pros and cons of each of them and it goes back to the quote we were saying earlier did the good outweigh the bad like mm. malcolm was his great leader but he, he seemed to come off as a little bit judgmental right yeah, absolutely Sam, holier Sam, than thou like he wasn't right. thugging and pipping and trapping like back in the day absolutely and and sam and sam cook like he there was some elitism there with him right mm-hmm. so like i don't want to stay at the black hotel i don't yeah. want my stuff yeah. stuff to get robbed right like i love hollywood and chasing the women yeah. right and jim brown was trying to figure out all right well i'm a football player but like i'm doing all this stuff for them breaking my back for them should i be an actor is, is that who jim is that who jim brown is can mm-hmm. i make more money just doing this and should i mm-hmm. and then muhammad ali trying to like come to grips with you know, what does it mean to, to be a a Muslim and, Mm -hmm. and does he want to embrace that and when and how and the politics of it all. So there was just all these different things happening, but at the same time, it wasn't scattered. And um, fun fact, uh, allegedly uh, Regina King um, had some very, very famous people who obviously wanted to play these stellar roles, but um, she said that you no one was going to do it unless they auditioned, and so uh, obviously wow. some of, some of those people might have dropped out. Yeah, but um, I, it made oh, me feel, hey. feel yeah, like it made me feel even more confident about the story that these actors were going to portray because they knew this was their shot, and they actually had to audition against other people to like make this happen. So I just think it was such a well done film, um, and and like I said, my favorite part of it was just seeing black men come together and it wasn't about partying mm. and turning up it was mm. about just like 
respectful disagreements, heated arguments, but at the end of the day, love for each other. And I don't, and I can't remember the last time I really saw that on television where it wasn't like toxic or about a, a, a woman or mm-hmm. something like that. Like these yeah. people, they wouldn't at each other hard yeah. verbally, right? Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it was like, I only come at you so hard because I got that much love and respect, respect for, you. for you. And yeah. so, yeah. And so I don't even like, I'm I'm so not used to that as a black man in terms of what I see in the media. Yeah. Like I got, I got brothers like you in my life who support me and got love for me. But like, when do we get to see that visually represented and story on on the big screen yes i think that you just made the greatest point because it's like it's it's kind of reflective of my life at least the black men i have in my life like these are the conversations we have like i mean sometimes they're not nearly as tough okay like the stakes were a little bit higher with them um but like it, it felt real like we know when was like close friends, like you can really say some of those things you really can. And it's not that it's right, but it's like, sometimes you hurt. Like, you know, we talked about going for the jugular and they went for the jugular in some ways, but never in like a super disrespectful way that we often see in media. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was important. And I, I, I'm just so glad that you brought that up. Cause that really reminded me of that, right. How rare that is to see, but how real it felt. And that's why it was so captivating. Because it was like, it was them really just like thinking about life, really philosophizing. Like it, sometimes it would be two of them going off, doing something else to talk to them, talk to each other. The other two in a room talking to each other. And it's like you, we got to really feel like we got to know them. Like really like we know their ideologies for the most part, their pers- personalities. Because we didn't really live in that time, right? We didn't get to really right. experience it. So we get to see just like highlights of their lives um the writings that they left behind the videos that they left behind but i think in that we got to see them come to life like those ideologies why they think that and like how their experience has colored why they're thinking like how it's colored what they think right now um or right then in that time so i really love that so i I appreciate you explaining that and then i just also thought about how funny it was um that it felt like for the for the film Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay at the time was in a situationship with uh, like Islam, like the nation of Islam. It was like he knew it was good for him. It made him feel good. It made him feel good before his fight. He knew it was like it for him and he felt like he needed it, but he didn't want to commit to it. yet. He didn't know he had he was getting the benefits. But like Malcolm was like, bro, you going you going to do it. And it sucked, too, because. I don't know exactly if this is exactly how it went down, but it's like I knew they were close and I knew that they ended up splitting. And I knew that he ended up following uh, Minister Farrakhan and we see where the nation is now. And we saw uh, how Malcolm kind of explained that he was looking to build something else, build something new, and he would want him to be a part of it with him. But he was like, if you think I'm doing anything shady or I have my own motives, like, don't come. And I thought that that was some real, that was real because it was like, he really let him know. He was like, I, I understand how it can feel. And I'm sorry I like caught you off guard. But like, if you don't believe me, I'm not going to try to force you down this path with me. So I, I really appreciated that part of the movie. Um, And those were really some moments that stood out. And then also the chain gang thing. I think that that's why that moment allowed me to understand why Malcolm was so passionate and was so at Sam's throat. 
Because he was like, I saw the power of the people through you. I saw how you channeled that. And I know that your potential was so great and you could really recreate that. And it's like, I think that's why he was genuinely, genuinely disappointed. And then he saw that a change going to come. And it's like, that's when it hit, hit his soul. He was like, he still got it. And I, I might have been too hard. So, yeah, overall, bro, that, that film, like, I didn't even realize how much I loved the film until he just started talking about it. Yeah, yeah, I was I was just thoroughly Im- impressed in in every way. Re- Regina King, like, give that woman her flowers. Like, she's she's been a part of Black history in terms of her acting career. But this this di- directorial debut was just amazing, amazing uh, cast. Um, it, it was it was just it was just great. Um, so so shout out shout out to her. Shout out to the cast. Shout out to everyone involved in that project. Um, that there was there was another project that also came that everyone is talking about. So we shall dive in. There we shall dive in. Um, Malcolm and Marie. Um, we're so T. I want you to uh, talk about how you felt about it. For those of you who don't know, the brilliant uh, Zendaya um, and the brilliant John David Washington were uh, were in a movie uh, called Malcolm and Marie looking at uh, one night in time of a, a filmmaker and his partner um, and looking at the trials and tribulations of their relationship um, all coming to a head and a, light, a night uh, argument that lasted all night. It was shot in black and white. Um, and I have some, I have some thoughts, um, but I'm going to pu- push it over to you first, T-Shaw, but not before I say that Zendaya, John, Y'all acted y'all tails off. Y'all, y'all, y'all's talent yeah. is a level. Um, but I mean, it was something that I knew already. Um, so that's, so I'm going to say that and I'm going to let you sort of give your review before I give, give my thoughts. Yeah. I mean, I just really appreciated Malcolm and Marie. I know that there's a lot of criticism. I know that the movie critiques and like the reviewers really ate it up or they didn't see it as that strong of a movie. But I think that Zendaya Coleman and John David Washington was in their acting bag like no other. I think that the 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 amazing part of the story or about how they shot this film is that I know at times the the monologues feel long, but it's because they are. They this is a film unlike others where they didn't have that big of a cast and they just allowed them to act. And I think that that's the beauty of this film. So if you don't appreciate it, I might need you to watch it again. Because they were, they were filming, like, often they do, what, like, two-minute takes, three-minute takes, different scenes, right? But they just allowed the camera to roll. They just allowed them to get into character, and they really embodied these people. I think the beauty of this film is that you believe them, that you really believe that these are they are these people and that these are the lives that they are living and that this is how they feel. And I really love that. It's like they let them go on for, like, seven, eight, nine, 12-minute takes, like, you know how you really got to be acting not to break scene to really like feel those emotions like, bro, I can't I can't hype that movie up enough. I really love the angles and the shots that they were shooting. I love the black and white. Some people don't like that. I, I think people some people watch movies for action that it's in one home the whole time. It's oddly shot. It's in black and white. It's long monologues. Um, but I, I love how the plot unfurls as the conversations are had as they get deeper into their feelings and deeper into the alcohol like they let it go and they let it flow like and at times it is toxic right but I think it 
the beauty of the film is that I think it is so realistic in the sense that, yeah, some people might have slapped him. Like some people, like uh, the outcome could have been different, but there are some couples that might, this just might be, right? I think the fact that they can go through all of this in one night and then go to bed with each other, I think that that is, it's so realistic because I think that we have all probably been in something so toxic and we've just decided to stay. We've really sat there and contemplated, damn, should I even be in this? Is this good for me? And it's like you can really feel like you contemplate in life and then you go home and you do it all again. So I think it's like, I think that there are so many like realistic moments in this that like, that's what I love about it. Like maybe the story isn't real or maybe this, the plot isn't the strongest, but like the acting and how, how they brought that plot to life and how they presented us the story. I love, and I'll always, I'll always have this movie up. Touche, touche. Uh, good, good brother. I, you know what, y'all, I, I gotta be honest, right? I, I came <laughs> in with my thoughts. Me, me and Tisha had a, had a great conversation beforehand. So, you know, thank thank God for T Shaw because before before my conversation with you, you brother, I was gonna come come in here today <laughs> and uh, really really tear this movie to shreds. Um, so let let's where do we start? So I what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna juxtapose it because I think it goes back to what we were saying before. Mm-hmm. You when you look at a Serena and a Tom Brady, what do you value? What were you looking for? What do you expect? All and all that, right? Yeah. So mind you, um, I had watched. Uh, another movie called Young Promising Woman. If you all haven't seen that, I highly recommend you go go and see that. And then I had also watched One Night in Miami, and there was it was a different type of journey, right? Mm-hmm. There if and and it was a different type of climax, and there was a different type of of progression. Um, and so I think that going into Malcolm and Marie, I think I expected that type of feel and maybe that's not what that movie was was for in the first place yeah. and so for me i had i i'm talking i'm watching these other movies back to back and so when i'm coming to malcolm and marie i'm like yo it's it's in david coleman it's john david washington like i'm ready because yeah, yeah. i just respect I, I respect them for their craft both each of them individually for their craft so much so i was really excited to see see what happened when they got together um i think for me um the acting was superb like you do, mm-hmm. you do sort of get enveloped in it. Um, I think for me, I would have loved to see the summation of all all those things that they reveal, right? Because like yeah. they they had those liners, and I was like, dang, they cutting deep, dang, they cutting deep, and and <laughs> I was the like, jugular from the jugular. And then I was I was I was upset because I was just like, after after y'all bear y'all souls to each other, like y'all are going right back into it, or it doesn't seem like there's any resolution but to your point i will say that like even though that's still something that i don't i didn't prefer it might be way more realistic like you said for you all to have that bash because i've definitely done that with exes and then you know y'all go to bed and then y'all rewind you know Mm -hmm. what i'm saying it's 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 a love-hate relationship constantly right that Mm -hmm. no one else gets to see they were at a premiere before they went to the house and i'm sure everything looked fine right Mm -hmm. and and so for me while i do while i do wish that there was some type of summation i can understand you know they're not being one because that's also realistic um i didn't like what i didn't like was and i think that the fact that there's a white writer for this story like (laughs) also colors colors this for me but in this in the movie 
Oh, and we did we say spoiler alerts? Did we did we say that? I'm, I'm gonna put it on the uh the the little the little timestamp because yeah we okay, probably right. should yeah 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 all right. spoiler alert whatever <laughs> so like uh there was Malcolm always talked about how he wanted his work to not be looked at through a lens of race or at least via that interpretation from that white white woman yeah. which I sort of get because like. Black people should be allowed to be humans, but at the same time, I think I was I juxtaposed that him that desire from him versus what Malcolm was saying, mm-hmm. what Sam Cook was saying and whatnot in Miami. And I was just like, bro, we don't even get to be neutral. That's not even how none of this, none of this goes. And even Marie um was saying that too, too was was so sort of echoing those sentiments. So yeah. like part of it, part of it for me too was like those those that conversation even though black intellectuals aren't a monolith i was like some of this stuff just doesn't seem like what i would talk talk about with ut shaw or some of my other black intellectual friends and so for me i was just like you know i think i probably would have given it a little bit more leniency had it been like a black writer because i would have been like well i can really tap into maybe you have some black friends who do speak like this about these types of things but i've never known of any black person who was just like Yo, why are we looking at everything through the lens of race? Not, or at least I, I don't know one that seemed to have a more social justice oriented mindset. Mindset, than but yeah, I feel that. Right. That, that, that yeah, makes like, a lot of sense because I know yeah. some coons that like would have felt that way, but they would have had that background knowledge, like that he showed that he had. Yeah, yeah. Malcolm, Malcolm was a. It was obvious that he was a very social conscientious brother, mm-hmm. and so for me, it was like if you go be mad at the white lady be mad at her for something else. Cause I'm sure your, your smart self can think about other things to be mad at. But like, I don't think that, I don't think that that Malcolm would ever want someone to not see the race and the sex and the intersectionality of all those things coming together yeah. in his work. So like I had an issue with that. Um, and then of course the monologues, like you said, like, I, but I think that that's only because I was expecting some form of like action because like you said before, like they did reveal the plots in these like gut wrenching chest blowing moments, mm-hmm. whether it could like, but they were cutting each other below their feet, forget below the belt. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? They were hitting the ground. And, and I was like, Oh my God. Like when, when, uh, when Marie grabbed that knife and oh started tapping it on the floor, Boy. I was like, this is it. This is it. Boy. So that was about to happen. Uh, you know, when, when Malcolm was talking about all the women he had done in the heart shaped yeah. pool, you know what I'm saying? I was like, all right, this is the moment. And so it's just, it's just a, it's a tough thing for me because the film, the, I, I think I wanted a film where they said all of that stuff that most of the stuff that you said, like that all that happened. And then there was some type of summation because my heart felt for Marie. Cause Malcolm just seems like a jerk. Yeah. Um, but, An but emotional like, terror. She said, yeah, literally emotional terror. So I was just like, so like my, my, like, so what's, so what's up Marie? But, to your point, I think the, the reality is, is that we know that when things are, you know, when things are domestically uh, abusive in relationships, it can take survivors up to nine times to like try to leave. And yeah. so I, I think one thing that, you know, for all you Malcolm and Marie lovers, one thing that Tisha did tell me was that like, hey, hey, Scholar P, this was one night. Yeah. This is one night. We had no idea. Maybe the next day she packs up all her shit and goes. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We have no idea. And part of maybe this movie was also part of a of a mystique that you had to appreciate. Yeah. Right. 
like this idea that we don't know what's going to happen afterwards, but like they've made us want to, they, they made us invested or they captured us for one night. Mm. Like that was the real film that should have gotten the praise, not the film about her life, but this as a, as a, a cinematic experience, this, this exchange between these two, two actors. Right. Yeah. So like, it's, it's a tough thing. So like Malcolm and Marie, I can definitely appreciate it for what it's worth and hopefully for what that writer and the producers intended <laughs> for it to be. But I would, I would say in the future, maybe just a little bit of a summation, like you saw in a one night in Miami, look at, look at how much Sam Cook went back and forth with Malcolm. But then after that, he made a change is going to come. Yeah. Like, and it was like all that conversation, <laughs> all of that back and forth. And like some of this, this stuff was toxic too, right? Yeah, yeah, they were hit below the belt too. Absolutely. But, but what you saw was that afterwards, there was there was something that like came out of it that you could grasp, that you could hold on to, and you could be like, that character grew. Yeah. Like that character needed this night. Yeah. And for Malcolm and Marie, I was just like, the beauty of it is that you don't you don't know how that night impacted them. The the negative part about it is like I also which that also means I don't know if they just went on like regular um but i'll say this one more time it is very it is probably more realistic and that's the and that's just probably the saddest part part of it all because i was gonna say that's kind of the truth is it's like people not everybody grows from situations like not everybody has tough conversations and walk away with the, the the lesson that they were supposed to and they've accepted it and they do something positive with it some, a lot of the times that don't happen. And I, I think that that's what I really love about the film. And one thing that like really stands out to me that I had a good, good conversation with my girlfriend about is like, it seemed, it was also very toxic because it felt like there was some type of like owing or some type of like owner, not really ownership, but it's like she, I, I felt as if that they both felt that she owed him her life. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that that's one thing that was kind of like under the surface is like because she had she she was on bad times and she either had committed suicide or something had happened. Right. Uh, I forgot exactly what he said. Something about the scissors and something else. Right. Yeah, like nail scissors. Yeah. To the wrist. Yeah. yeah. So it's like she, he saved her life. And it's like you think about like, why? How could she stand this? It's like from both of their perspectives, it's like you're not here without me like save you and i i think that that's that's a very negative way to think about it but i think it's like it's just all their relationship is kind of rooted in trauma i think that that's what i think about it's like because there's also real love there i think we're talking about all the negative parts that they kind of shared throughout the movie but like that was also sandwiched in between like these beautiful moments they had together or them really enjoying each other's company and being really good for each other and really like like i don't know it seemed like there's real genuine love there but it's like that there's something deeper seated underneath that hasn't really been like uprooted and exercised so that like it's like it's, yeah, I don't know. It's like it, there's a haunting still there. Like there's still some pain and trauma there that hasn't been like pulled out of the house so we can't live like this peaceful life that we should. We still being haunted by this ghost. No, absolutely. And and I love the point that you made because I think that something that, that should be taken from Malcolm and Marie is this idea that like you can love someone, but it doesn't mean you should be with someone. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like y'all can have a genuine love for each other, but like, you know, uh, and I, and you, and you might, but like, I, you might've told me about the scene, but like, Zena literally there, there's one where she, there's a part of the movie where she's like, 
I'm warning you, nothing productive is going to come mm-hmm. uh, out of out of this con- out of a conversation that happens tonight. And it and it was just like I think the eerie part about it is that like you know you you know that people will even watch this. They'll look at their partner and be like, "You're my Malcolm. You're my Marie." And they might still stay because they think, oh, as long as you can find that one piece of love and something so toxic, because like they were, they were in love. They they had love, a loving moment. Let's, I'm a, I'm a give them the benefit of it. 10 minutes, about 10 minutes of the movie. And I'm not, I can't, I can't even exaggerate it. If you don't count the silence as, as as love moments, like 10 minutes. And I think that so many times I've had that time, those times in my relationships Great women, awesome women, but it's like this is ten minutes of happiness and Compared fifty to, minutes yeah. of toxicity. Mm-hmm. And I can't. That's a horrible <laughs> ratio for my life. So it's like I, I think that that's. I think that might be one of the most powerful lessons of all because you'll never get to. You'll never know if they actually got away from each other to save themselves. Yeah. Because I I love that point you made. Like they feel like they both owe a lot owe their lives to each other and that the other person owes them Mm -hmm. because of the way, but like, I'm very interested in exploring the the idea of y'all save y'all's own lives by separating from each other. Cause Malcolm has something to prove to himself and Marie has something to prove to herself Yeah, in in a sense. And it goes back to the Um, quote. Like, it's like, it's not if the good outweighs the bad. Cause we we see that the uh, definitely outweighs the good, but it's like, can this excuse it? And it's like, the good, those good moments can't excuse those those very toxic moments, even when the gloves are off. Because when the gloves are off, you still don't want to do that much damage, that much harm. Absolutely, absolutely, no, no, Tisha. I see, I see, I see you cycling back. Baby. I'm in my bag, legacy, bro. I'm man. In my bag, bro. You know, twenty five and brought me some wisdom. Bro, bro, let, let's 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 talk about twenty five. Let's talk about twenty five, right? Because yeah. so, so my boy, you know, we, uh, your birthday w- was yesterday. Um, you know, his partner, uh, shout, shout out Alex, planned him and, and Alex and your mom actually planned this yeah. whole big celebration. You know what I'm saying? And um, you got to see all of your, you know, or like all of your like closest loved ones, family members and things of that nature. See, mm-hmm. tell us not only about that moment, but what it feels like, you know, in 2021 to be a black man who made it to 25. Yeah, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, just a big shout out to moms, bro. Like moms really did the damn thing at Alex, bro. Like that's my love. That's my baby love. Like I really... Bro, like I can't, I can't express the appreciation that I have for them, ever, mm-hmm. and for y'all as well. Like everybody on that call, like bro, that it really meant so much. But like the day in general was cool. Like, um, Alex set up this like scavenger hunt for me, so like I had to work all day. But it's like she set clues around the house, and I had to find these little letters, um, based on the clue. And she's brilliant, bro. She's brilliant, and she's much more brilliant than me so like some of the things went over my head i was like after i like i figured out the clue and i was like sometimes i was like look i need help um and after she, i figured out the clue i'm like bro you're really genius like you really wrote a triple entendre in like in a haiku like it was crazy like <laughs> um so that that kept me entertained throughout the day because even though i had to work i had something to look forward to each hour it was like all right where's my next clue um, right. So that was cool. And then it spelled out visionary and I got to go um, after I figured it out. Um, our days had ended. It was it ended perfect. And 
I went over there. She had um, it set up. And it's just like, I don't think I, and since I've been a kid, I don't think I've had like decorations. And until I was setting up for her birthday, I never really realized how much that stuff mattered. It's like little things like that really matter. Like getting a present and it being wrapped, even though I have never cared about that, like it means something. Like I I didn't wrap hers like, cause I was like, I mean, you finna get this, it's cool. Um, but like, I see the point of it now. Like, it's just the actions of it. It's like those little things like bring a lot of love. So I really appreciate her, um, just so much for that. Like, I just got so much love for her. Like I was just so warm inside. And it's like, I, I think that like quarantine provided that real opportunity to like, I don't know, each year I just kind of like get lit. My uh, sister, uh, my best friend Vernon come out to wherever I'm at and uh, we go out and like, it's cool. It's solid, but it's never really like, it's nothing special. I feel like this one was special. It was like, you had to make it special. Like seeing y'all on the zoom call, like I didn't even expect it. She just put it in my lap. I'm like, Whoa, this is crazy. And then uh, we played the little Kahoot. Shout out to Vern. Vern won it. Um, I've known Vernon since um, 2007. So it's like he kind of had a leg up on the competition. He even beat my sister. (laughs) Um, I think they got the same amount of questions right, but he answered it faster. Um, But, yeah, so I I just think that, like, it was just full of love, and it was, like, amazing. It was just – I felt really appreciated, bro. Like, I really felt appreciated, and I – I loved how everybody was just like shout out my mom for um, raising me. I'm like, that's lit because yeah. I think she's yeah. lit and I think she did a wonderful job. And like she was young when she had me and my sister and it was two of us and she was a single mom. But like she did her damn thing. And it's like she's cold. And I feel like that's why I'm cold. It's like I have no excuse. I used to always think this as a kid. I have no excuse not to be the coldest because it's like if somebody can defy so many odds and get here, it's like I have I, that's just the bar that's been set. Like I, I gotta hop over it. Cause it's like, I've been given the resources to do so. Right. Um, and I, I think that that's how I think about generational wealth and stuff like that too. But like, that's just me thinking about legacy. Right. I think that her legacy influenced me to, to make the person that I am. And I, it just felt amazing that so many people had so much love to share about me. Cause I'm like, wow, y'all really fucking me. This shit is lit. Like, <laughs> I didn't know I I, like I I think you can live your life and not understanding the impact that you're really making on the people around you Um, and I hope that I am making a great impact but it's like nothing that I actively think about it's just like me living my life day by day and it's like it's cool that so many people that I've loved throughout my life were able to come together for me like that shit's lit it's a great feeling and I think everybody should feel that Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I tried, I, you know, I gave you, I gave you some flowers yesterday and I I'll be remiss that. if I didn't give you your flowers on the actual podcast. So yeah, I, I think that one, one of the greatest things uh, about T Shaw is his level of balance. Right. So when they were talking about what your interests are, you, this man is doing yoga, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? Reading books. Uh, but when, when we were all outside pre COVID, it was doing all sorts of football, uh, football and basketball. This man is allergic to grass and he's doing football. God is good. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's so crazy cause he's, he's pro he's so pro black, but he hates chocolate. Like it, he's, just, he's just a who he's really just a who. And, I think that when when I think about about you, T. Shaw, it's it's you're this balance of 
knowing how to stand up for what you believe is right, being assertive, uh, but also not being so hyper masculine that you're demeaning and degrading to women. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I'm saying? You're very, you're a very self aware person. Um, and I, and I, I love your your work ethic. Um, you know, thank I, you, thank I, you. for those of you who don't know, I, I think that Broom Black only existed because um, when uh, T. Shaw was in a leadership position, um, he he allowed me to to think about how to create something like this and he jumped on this with me and mm-hmm. uh, we, we've been kicking but ever since and so yeah. you know y'all got brewing black because you know T. Shaw believed in people and because um, T. Shaw going back to what we were saying earlier about being a great supporting uh, you know character in someone's life story he's done that for so many people and I wish y'all really could have heard everybody who was who was saying that uh, about <laughs> him because I, I feel like you know you I, I think for me as I've gotten older you know, and I've become more focused in my own life, you know, from a spiritual perspective, whether it's God or the universe, mm-hmm. um, you know, good people who actually really care about me and who are genuinely good human beings to other people mm-hmm. have been put around me. And T-Shaw's definitely one of those people. I and I think that, that and I feel the yeah, same absolutely. about you. <laughs> and, look, look, and, and I, and I think that when you are that for so many people, I, I would hope, I will hope, and I assume that all those people in who were on that Zoom call yesterday, and even some who maybe weren't even able to make it to that Zoom call, but who were in your life, also felt, you also feel that same way about them. That they're genuinely good people. And Absolutely. so I, I, I think to see you turn 25, first of all, it's just a feat that unfortunately is something we have to celebrate as Black people because so many of us didn't didn't make it to this yeah. uh, stage, right? So, so many of us had our lives stolen from us. Um, but even more importantly, I think that you making it to 25 and seeing that celebration was a lesson in karma. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. T. Shaw has been adamant on this podcast talking about uh, his his mistakes, shortcomings, things of that nature. He's He's been open and vulnerable with y'all as an audience. But as you, but as you can see from this, or if you can't see even on this, <laughs> trust me when I say, his life is good. People around him love him. People around him care about him. And that's because Absolutely. he spent more time trying to be the, be that great person in someone's story than the, than the villain. And so I yeah. think as you turn 25, this is a lesson in karma. While you're young, if you're young, listening to this, you know what I'm saying? Like really pay attention. Really, really pay uh, attention to how folks, you know, are regarding you right now because, you know, all of it comes back. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I think that T. Shaw will always be able to look at that moment and, re- and realize how much he's loved. And then uh, the last thing I'll say is make sure you give people their flowers. Because, yeah. like, to see your face was, like, that was the best thing to know oh, thank you, that you thank were you. that loved. And for you yeah, to actually absolutely. literally be overwhelmed, um, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Uh, and, and imagine if we don't do that and then God forbid, you know, knock on wood, like something happens and we didn't get to tell you how, how great you are and how much you, you mean to us and and other communities. So, you know, shout out to you, brother. I appreciate Um, that, bro. I appreciate that. That was just it. I'm all warm inside again. No, I appreciate it. Um, bro, it's crazy. Cause I like how you say karma It's just like, I think I fundamentally have embodied that in my life. Like that is just how I feel. It's just like. I can't shake the feeling the more I give, the more comes back. It's like mm. I want it, I want it to be at this most selfless thing, but it's not. It's like I figured out, I don't know, it's my personal theory, it's my personal philosophy, but I figured every time I give out, something comes back, bro. Like it's crazy. It's like I've gotten over 
the fear, like I, I think I used to think about this with money and I've even let go of it with money. It's just like sometimes some people just need money. And it's like I might if I have it, I give it because it's like I know that the money is coming back, bro. I gave somebody somebody I hadn't talked to in so long. Bro, like maybe a decade reached out to me on Facebook and said something had happened and their mom had died, all this crazy stuff. And that they were they just needed some money to get to like a place where they could be safe. And I was like, bro, I got 25 right now. Like, I'll send you that. And it's like, I thought about it. I was like, is this too much? Like, I ain't talked to this man. Like, I don't know what he's doing with his life. He could be lying. Like, I don't know. But I just threw him the change because I'm like, it's going to come back. I don't know how. I don't know why, but it will. Today, I haven't got my deposit back in so long from my last apartment. They hit us back today. Was like, oh, they finally got back to us. I don't know why. I don't know when. Like, they just hit us back and was like, oh, yeah, we can get you the deposit um we sent it to the wrong place we'll send it again but um it's been a long time all of this this and that will um give you seven hundred dollars back that we took away from your deposit so i'm like okay bro like 25 it's just like i don't know it's like when people talk about the stock market i feel like it's the stock market it's just like love i don't know you put it out it's like i like that bro it's just it come back and it's like every time i want to question it i just I just continue to go with it and I, I get the signs that it's reaffirming. So I, I, I want to say that like Arlander even said it on the call, like that's my guy. He's, he's seen me at my worst and that's why I will always, that will always be one of my like ride or dies. Cause it's like, he has been with me at my worst and he's also known me as probably one of my worst people. Like, I, like I, I wasn't always this, right. It's like, you have to kind of learn. And I think that that's why we talk about calling in rather than calling out. Cause it's like, People were patient with me. People knew that I had a good heart, but it's like, I said bad things. I've done bad things. I like, I haven't been the best person ever. He's like, y'all talking about him. Like, y'all ain't know him. Y'all didn't know him before he was 20. And it's like, I don't know what, what changed. But it's like, I think I started understanding and listening more and just like being more aware. I don't know. I guess less self-absorbed, more like for people around me. And it, it has just empowered me so much. And it, it fuels me each and every day. And it's like stuff like that, just hearing that, it just reaffirms that like i'm here and i have a purpose and i have a passion and yeah so just even you shouting me out like bro i, f- I appreciate that and you were bashful because like brewing black doesn't exist without you either but it's like being each other's like that supporting character right that supporting role like you can you can still win a war for being the actor in the film it just don't have to be about you and i think that like right right knowing that it's like you will go down in history your legacy will be remembered like you're gonna get that egot or whatever the award it needs to be like just know that it's going to come back to you. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. So look, I, I, oh man, I, you said a lot of good things there. So I love the, like the investment in loves and, or in the love stock. Like it's, that, <laughs> that's, that's incredible. I, you know, it's, yeah. It, and I, and I think that one thing you, you said, because I was, I was on one end talking about make sure that you're treating people right. Cause look at this great karma. But I think that you actually said something more important than that. Hey, look, there was growth here, yeah. right? It took time and trial and error. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you trash it, trash it, double it, trash it, trash it, double. And, and it's like, this is that manifestation. And so yeah. the more important message is actually, if you have messed up, if you feel like you're the villain in people's story, like you have time to change it while yeah. you're still breathing. It's never right? too late. So yeah, like just, yeah. Like, thank you for all those gems, brother. I appreciate and, it. You know, I appreciate it. The, this this is just a, a joyous moment, and with it being a joyous moment, I have to we, we have to you know give a shout out um, to the trials and tribulations ending, 
for the Gorilla Glue Woman. So for those of you who do not know, the Gorilla Glue Woman uh, was a woman who meant to put Gorilla uh, Scott, Gorilla Scott in her hair, a snot, Gorilla Snot in her hair. Um, That's in a, uh, I want to say a yellow package. Mm -hmm. The the Gorilla Glue is in a more orange package. And um, she she couldn't move her hair at all. She washed, she did all these things. And, you know, uh, because of efforts from Black Twitter, which I'll let you get into, uh, she was actually, you know, she was actually able to get the help of a black plastic surgeon to do the procedure to help her out with that for free. And so we want to give uh, a, sh- uh, a shout out to her, to um, that surgeon. And, and let, let's see here, because I want to make sure that I got got all of all of that right. His name is Dr. Michael Obing um, and the young woman's name is Tessica Brown. So shout out to Michael o- Obing and uh, congratulations, Tessica, um, for getting that surgery for free. Um, and we wish you nothing but love and happiness, Queen. Tisha, what does this tell you about the power of us as a people when we get get together because people were rallying to try to get get resources together for Tessica, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Like people all over social media were um, invested. I think that there they were there were jokes and la- laughs and hahas at some point, but there were there, it turned into genuine concern. Like, what are we going to do to help this woman? And I think that that to me is the beauty of Black Twitter, and that is the power of. Uh, us coming together in the power of unity. We saw how we kind of ate up the Bali girls and decided to call them out instead of call them in. I think that we did the opposite. We saw this woman and we decided to call her in, in a sense that we're, we're, we're calling her into a, a community of resources. Like, okay, we need to figure out how we can help her solve this. Um, and I, like, I, I just thought that was beautiful. Um, and like with this free, uh, surgery, like I'm glad that she's doing okay. Um, I'm glad that the situation has been resolved and like, cause she could have really been like bald and like really like it, it could have really been down bad. And I think it was just beautiful to see. Right. Right. And yeah. And I think that, you know, what would happen if, if black Twitter continued doing stuff, stuff like this, if black social media and us, to, uh, you know, came together like that all all the time and we had strategies around it to really uplift us constantly right and mm. you know it's not too late like our our legacy this generation's legacy um the people who are alive our our legacy is still continuing to uh still continuing today like we still have time to like revolutionize people's lives systems structures so on and so forth and i think that you know we'll look back on this day and tessica brown and be like dang we did that we like mm-hmm. we like we know how to we know how to joke because she definitely got those jokes. <laughs> oh, but like, but like we we also know. I, I think it just shows the humanity of us as well as black people to be like, all right, baby, come, come here. Let's yeah. let's try to get it. Let's 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 call the neighbors. Let's call the community. Let's have pasta take up um, something for the collection plate for you. Like we're gonna get this figured out. And now she has some money. And she and she got that surgery for free, um, albeit by a black person, with, which we cannot forget. So shout out to Michael Obing, uh, doctor. We we appreciate you uh, for for having that uh, that love investment. You know what I'm saying? That investment of love in that love stock. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so shout out to Tessica Brown, man. Uh, may may you be well. Um, and and you know, Gorilla Glue. Honestly, at this point, make her your sponsor. 
make her your sponsor because she went through hell for y'all. Um, and she showed that that product works. You understand? So I, you know, that, that's just something that, uh, you know, we, we need to take into consideration, but, um, with, with that being said, uh, we are going to jump into our spotlight and, uh, for those of you who don't know, Spotlight is uh, usually when we give uh, someone or something credit in L.A. for all the great work that they're doing in the community. Uh, but since it is Black History Month, uh, we are going back through time and talking about the great things that happen um, on the days where when we shoot our podcast. So right now, today, it is Thursday, February 11th. And on this great day, I'm going to tell you all what happened on this great day. Um, uh, Whitney L. Young, uh, who was the executive director of the National Urban League, um, he 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 died. He he passed away. Um, but his legacy um, in the National Ur- Urban League um, is something that we have to acknowledge. So shout out to uh, Whit- Whitney L. L. Young. Um, but also. Uh, in 1976, on this day, Clifford Alexander Jr. was confirmed as the first Black uh, Secretary of the Army. So we want to give them a shout out, um, shout out to their legacies, shout out to the things that you all did with your positionalities. Um, and I'm sure the world is a better uh, place um, because of, uh, of of you all. So, um, yeah. Uh, with that being said, Tisha, do you have uh, anything that you want to tell the people? Nah, bro. I think I didn't drop all the bars I have today. Um, again, I just thank y'all for rocking with us uh, here at Brewing Black. Please check us out um, at Brewing Black Podcast on Instagram, Brewing Black Pod on Twitter. Again, we are always growing and learning and loving and living. And I'm just glad y'all here along for the ride. If y'all not here yet, y'all will be at some point. We will have that billboard on sunset one day. But um, until then, continue to rock with us. All right. And and like we always say, T, what, what do we always say? Keep the coffee black. black. And we like our podcast like we like our women. Black. black. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thank you for rocking with us. We will see y'all next week. Enjoy. Peace.